Now that's the song you want to walk up on stage to. <laughs> yeah. And I need to tell you something. You don't almost believe that. Are you hearing me? You don't almost believe that. So if you want to know about what faith is, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. So if you're in the room today and you're struggling with that song about the reality of your own heart, ain't no grave going to hold my body down. There's going to be a trumpet sound. They're going to rise up out of the ground. And as of this moment, that trumpet sounds, you don't need to come out of the ground. You're going to be standing on the ground while you go up. By the way, the Feast of Trumpets is next month on the 18th of September. What a glorious time. If he wants to blow that trumpet, I say, yes, Lord. I have two things I want to do before we get into the teaching part today. First off, if you went on that mission trip to Eastern Kentucky last week, we had 38 people. Would you stand up? We'd like to recognize you. I can tell you, church, they represented you, the church at Nineveh Whale, and they represented our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as ambassadors of Christ. What a great week um, together. Great time. Second thing is Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, we're going to have our Roots kickoff. That's our Wednesday night teaching sessions. We're going to kick off Wednesday night, and we're going to have uh, outdoor worship, weather permitting. We're going to line up out there, bring a bag chair. We're going to worship together. And we're going to have, uh, we're going to cook out hamburgers, have kind of a picnic thing, all that outside as, as long as the weather's good. And if the weather's not good, we'll move it inside. Um, here's the deal. We're going to take a 12-week study of experiencing God. You will need a book. They're selling books. You need to get a book. It's a personal study that we come together once a week and review what we studied this past week. So I'm encouraging you, you want to know the Word of God, you want to experience God, you want to let the Scriptures show you how to experience God. Not in a 12-week study, but the rest of your life. Come be a part of this. It is the number one largest best-selling Bible study in history. I've done it a bunch of times, it's been several years, I'm going to do it again. So get your book, come out Wednesday night. Uh, the first class is not Wednesday night. We're going to have a kickoff Wednesday night, the first class is the following Wednesday night. You need to get involved in that. Today we're going to be a continuation of this story about these two kings. King Jehoshaphat of Judah and King Ahab of Israel. We finished up last week with the death of King Ahab. A random arrow that wasn't so random took him out. This is the Lord's description of evil King Ahab, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and his evil wife Jezebel. This is what the Bible, how the Bible describes him. 1 Kings 16, 29. And I, and I start with him because he's the dirty, rotten scoundrel that polluted everything else. Ahab, son of Omri began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 22 years. Let that sink in for a minute. 22 years. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. 
And as though it were not enough to follow the example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbaal of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down in worship to Baal. First, Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up Asherah poles. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. We pick up the story today. King Ahab is dead. He reigned as king for 22 years. King Ahab is bad company. You need to understand that in the beginning. He didn't just do evil. He promoted evil. When he became idolatrous, he began the worship of Baal. And then he expanded the worship of Baal. He began the worship of Asherah. And he expanded the worship of Asherah. Idolatry. Some of you in the room or some of you listening to me today, you hear the word idolatry and you think, well, that doesn't affect me a lick. I don't have an Asherah pole and I don't even know who Baal is. And there's no golden calf in my yard. Idolatry in the New Testament. You ready, church? American church, you ready? You know what idolatry is in the New Testament? Paul calls idolatry in the New Testament covetousness. You know what that is? This insatiable desire for things. Be careful about idolatry. When it becomes the pursuit of your life, you think, well, I don't bow down to Asherah. I don't bow down to Baal. I don't have a golden calf. Well, there's a lot of people that have golden calves. They just don't look like calves. It's covetousness, idolatry. The story begins with idolatry. When a king whose heart should have been devoted to the one true God has turned away from that God and devoted his heart to other things, other things, other things. You think this isn't real? And what happens? Disaster. In the story today, Ahab is dead, but he is bad company. In last week's story, King Jehoshaphat made the mistake of making a political, it all starts here. Jehoshaphat was a good man. He's a godly man. He worshiped the one true God. He promoted the word of God. And yet he made a tragic mistake. Bad company. He hung out with King Ahab and he created a military and a political, notice the word, political alliance with King Ahab. King Jehoshaphat had his oldest son. Listen, he had his oldest son. He's a good man. He's a righteous man, but this mistake will cost him future generations of his family. He has his oldest son marry the daughter of King Ahab to secure a political alliance with the king to the north. That's how they did it back then. A lot of kings and kingdoms have fallen because of that stuff. Bad company. And as I start today with the title, Bad Company, I want you to understand where it comes from. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company does something always. It corrupts good character. The prophet Micaiah, his prophecy we talked about last week, his prophecy has come true. 
as we pick up the story today. The battle is over. Ahab is dead. But the question today is this. What about Jehoshaphat? He's still alive. And what has this alliance that he made with King Ahab done to him, done to his kids, and done to his family legacy, done to his nation? What did it do? What has it done? How will this political alliance between Jehoshaphat and now dead King Ahab, is it all over? He's dead. Don't worry about it. We'll move on. Or does bad company corrupt good character for a long time? God sends a prophet. So I need to set this up. They've gone into battle. Jehoshaphat, a righteous man, calls out to God. God delivers him. He doesn't die. But Ahab, an unrighteous man, dies. So Jehoshaphat starts going home to Jerusalem. Ahab's dead. Jehoshaphat's going home, and God raises up a prophet to deliver a message to Jehoshaphat as he's going home. Here he comes. Let me, let me, before I read it to you. Why didn't they listen to Micaiah? I wonder when I, re, before I read this, Jehoshaphat and Ahab are both in the room when that one prophet said, you're going to die. Why, if they'd have just listened to him. Now, here we go. God's not happy. And God's not happy specifically with the political alliance that Jehoshaphat has made with Ahab. Second Chronicles 19.1. When King Jehoshaphat of Judah arrived safely home in Jerusalem, Jehu, son of Haniah, the seer, now that's another word for a prophet of God, Jehu went out to meet him. Jehu has been commanded by God to deliver a message to King Jehoshaphat. Why should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Let this sink in for a moment. This is the message of God to King Jehoshaphat after the battle that kills King Ahab. Why should you help the wicked? Now, he's referring to King Ahab. And love those, and, and, and love those who hate the Lord. Why, why do you love King Ahab? Why did you go up there and help him? He hates the Lord. Because of what you have done, King Jehoshaphat, the Lord is very angry with you. Even so, there is some good in you. For you have removed the Asherah poles throughout the land, and you have committed yourself to seeking God. He's being scolded by God. This alliance, this bad company, has brought the anger of God upon the house, the children, the nation, the kingdom of Jehoshaphat in Judah. Yes, there is some good in Jehoshaphat, but bad company has left a mark on King Jehoshaphat's life. Hanging out with King Ahab always brought trouble, not just in the moment. Here's so important, at least in my understanding of this scripture. You think that you can recover from this decision, but in reality, the decision to make an alliance with Ahab lasted way past Ahab. Way past Ahab. King Ahab is dead. King Jehoshaphat's back in Jerusalem. This chapter of my life is over, right? Wrong. Here's why. 
Do you remember that King Jehoshaphat's son married the daughter of King Ahab? This is not over. Bad company corrupts good character. Yes, even to future generations. And I'm going to make a statement right now that I'm going to make about 20 times today, and I'm doing it 20 times on purpose so everybody will understand and remember it. Here it comes. Do not mix politics and your worship of God. Don't do it. You're going to find out today it is a deadly mixture. Do not mix your politics with the worship of God. Don't compromise one for the other. The bad seeds of King Ahab are still there. Even after the evil king is dead and gone. This becomes a defining moment for King Jehoshaphat. Why? He's come back to Jerusalem. He's bound to realize that his whole encounter with Ahab has been disastrous. Now he's back in Jerusalem, and he's been scolded by a prophet of God. And the prophet of God says, God is very angry with you. It's a defining moment. And it looks like, this is why Jehoshaphat's a good man. It looks like Jehoshaphat dedicates his, the rest of his life to the Lord in an attempt to make things right, to recover from his bad mistake, his bad company. So here we go, verse 4. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, but he went out among the people traveling from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim encouraging the people to return to the Lord. He had to come back to the Lord himself, and now he's, re he's encouraging the people to come back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And he does something. He appointed judges throughout the nation in all the fortified towns, and he says to these judges, always think carefully before pronouncing judgment. Remember that you do not judge to please people, but to please the Lord. He will be with you when you render the verdict in each case. Fear the Lord. Judge with integrity. For the Lord our God does not tolerate perverted justice, partiality, or the taking of bribes. King Jehoshaphat, it looks like he's learned his lesson, right? Bad company corrupts good character, right? He's sending out judges, righteous judges. Turn to the Lord. Everything's going to be good. Whew, that was close, right? Wrong. Don't mix your politics with the worship of God. Verse 35. Sometime later, King Jehoshaphat of Judah made an alliance with King Ahaziah of Israel, the very, who was very wicked. Together they built a fleet of trading ships at the port of Esion Gaber. He did it again. Is anybody paying attention? He did it again. He got in trouble the first time by creating an alliance with an evil godless king. And the evil godless king is gone. He's been replaced by another evil godless king, Isaiah. And he's made an alliance with him too. But this political alliance, I wonder when you look at the context of the alliance, it's good for jobs. It's good for the economy. I mean, you can hang out with corrupt people as long as it creates jobs and it's good for the economic status of the people, right? 
They're going to build trading ships together. And the trading ships will make jobs and the industry and the, the economy will rise. Unemployment will go down. Everything will be good, right? Don't mix your politics with the worship of God. Don't compromise one for the other. Why? I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read what God thinks about this. After the shipbuilding alliance began, God sent a prophet named Eleazar to King Jehoshaphat with this message. He's entered into this, this alliance with the, an evil king again. Verse 37. Then Eleazar, son of Donavahu, and you can't say it either, so quit looking at me funny. <laughs> From Marishah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat. Here comes a message to the king. Because you have allied yourself with King Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy your work. Now, this is not like it's the first time he's heard this. He allied himself with Ahab, and it got all messed up. And now he's allied himself with Ahab's replacement. The Lord will destroy your work. What was their enterprise? Their enterprise, they're going to build ships together. So the ships met with disaster and never put out to sea. The Lord crushed it. Bad company corrupts good character. And it doesn't make very good ships either. Don't mix your politics with the worship of God. Don't compromise one for the other. Finally, after reigning as king of Judah for 25 years, King Jehoshaphat died. And who do you think is going to replace him as the king of Judah? <laughs> the son who married the daughter of evil King Ahab. This is, I told you, this doesn't make a wonderful movie. The son of the, the daughter of the, excuse me, the son who married the daughter of evil King Ahab in that first political alliance. Jehoshaphat's oldest son is named Jehoram. And now he is king. His wife, remember, his wife is King Ahab's daughter. Verse 4. But when Joham... Jehoram had become solidly established as king. He killed all of his brothers and some of the other leaders of Judah. What's he killing his brothers for? Because he understood that they were competition. That if he ever did what the people didn't like, they could get rid of him and they could select another heir to replace him. But if there's none left, I guess you're in office till you die. Bad company corrupts good character. It doesn't just affect you. It affects your kids. Anybody hearing me? This is Jehoshaphat's son. And he's killing off his brothers. Don't mix your politics with the worship of God. Don't compromise one for the other. Why would Jehoram kill all of his brothers? I mean, let's face it. He came from a good family. His father, Joseph, and his grandfather, Asa, were both listed as godly men. Where on earth did this murdering spirit come from? Verse 5. 
Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 30, excuse me, eight years. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years. But Jehoram followed the example. Where's this evil spirit coming from? What would make you murder your brothers to keep your job? He followed the example of the kings of Israel. That's Ahab up to the north. And was as wicked as King Ahab. Ahab's dead, but his power, his legacy is continuing. For he had married one of Ahab's daughters. So Jehoram did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Inside of this incredible story of political power and murder. Everybody listen. Inside of this incredible story of political power and murder is a prophetic event. A revelation of a prophetic event that affects every person in this room right now today. Do you know that? The Word of God is alive. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, and it's going to cut today. It's going to reveal today. It is revealed in the story of evil King Jehoram, the one who killed all of his brothers and all of his political opponents. A revelation, a prophetic revelation is going to be revealed in the story. What is God going to do with this evil son of King Jehoshaphat now that he is king of Judah? Now that he is king of Judah. But I want you to notice something. King of Judah. The king who reigns in Judah reigns in Jerusalem. The king of Judah in Jerusalem reigns in the city of David. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. The next verse describes this prophetic announcement of God. And yes... It affects every one of us in this room right now, especially today. I told you last week, everything in the Old Testament reveals Christ. And until you start to read the Old Testament as a revelation of Jesus himself, you'll never get it, not all of it. And it reveals, what I'm reading to you today, reveals our, presently, our present reality right now. Are you ready? Say, uh-huh. That is pitiful. Ready? Say, uh-huh. Okay, it goes faster if you go along, I'll tell you. Verse 7, but the Lord did not want to destroy David's dynasty. Anybody see it? You will. For he had made a covenant with David and promised that his descendants, David's descendants, would continue to rule, shining as a lamp. How long? How long? Forever. Now, this is the king who's killed off all of his competition. All of the heirs have been killed. So what's God going to do with this ungodly king? Is he going to just kill him? Is he going to wipe him out, send an invading army? What's he going to do with him? The Lord did not want to destroy David's dynasty because he had made a promise with David. If you look at the family, Asa, Jehoshaphat, and now Jehoram, they were all kings of Judah reigning in Jerusalem. They are all, listen church, you got to understand this, they are all from the lineage of David. And they were all the fulfillment of God's promise to have a Davidic dynasty, a dynasty of kings. What is the promise 
And how would that affect any of us today? How can I look at this story of Jehoram and say that it affects every one of us alive today? So push pause and let's back up about a hundred years from Jehoram to Jehoshaphat to Ahab. Let's back up about a hundred years to the king named David. I'm going to read to you the message of God delivered to King David through the prophet Nathan that has eternal consequences, an eternal promise. 2 Samuel 7, verse 8, a hundred years before these kings. Now go and say to my servant David, God's talking to Nathan. Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture. And God's going to, God's announcing, he's reminding David, you were a shepherd before you met me. And now you're a king. And, and even in that is a prophetic announcement that one day there will be a good shepherd that will also become a king. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you, David, wherever you have gone. And I have destroyed all your enemies, David, before your eyes. And now I will make your name, David, as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth. You want proof of the power of God's word? We're talking about David today, and every one of you know who he is. The proof of the power of God's word. I'm going to make you famous. Verse 10, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. All these are promises, eternal promises that God is going to do through a Davidic reign on a throne in Jerusalem. Stay with me. Verse 11, Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule over my people Israel. And I will give you rest, David, from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you. Now understand that in this scene, David wanted to build a house for God. And God instead says, no, you're not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you. And what he's referring to is I'm going to build a a house that will be a lineage of kings, an eternal kingdom. I will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die, David, and are buried, David, with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. Now, he's about to, he's about to uh, uh, introduce Solomon, what Solomon's assignment's going to be. Listen carefully. The son of David. He's the one who will build a house. Now, you and I know that Solomon, David wasn't allowed to build the temple. Solomon built the temple. He will, he's the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne. Here comes a curious word, forever. Now, how can a man, Solomon, who we, we know died, how could his, how can he have a forever in his kingdom? Because something else is coming. 
And I will secure his royal throne forever. And I will be his father. Again, he's talking about Solomon. And he'll be my son. And if Solomon sins, I'll correct and discipline him with a rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I did Saul, your predecessor, whom I removed from your sight. Now, here it comes. Now, now listen, here it comes. Verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. Don't, don't, Don't miss this. This is a hundred years before Jehoram. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. More than a hundred years after the reign of King David, God is still keeping his promise about one of David's sons sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. King Jehoram is rotten, and he's following after rotten King Ahab, his dead father-in-law. But God's promise, God's covenant was to David. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to hold it up high. God always keeps his word. Always. And let me read it again. 2 Chronicles 21.7. But the Lord did not want to destroy David's dynasty. Now we're back over here to King Jehoram, a hundred years after David. The Lord did not want to destroy David's dynasty. Why? For he had made a covenant with David and promised that David's descendants would continue to rule, shining as a lamp forever. This kingdom of Judah is passing through Asa, it's passing through Jehoshaphat, and now it rests on Jehoram. But then Jehoram kills all of his brothers. Can you see the spiritual battle that's raging in the heavenly realms? What evil spirit convinces him to kill his brothers? If Satan, this is so important. If Satan could stop the lineage of David, if Satan could stop the lineage of David, shut down this royal throne, maybe he could stop the lamp from shining in Jerusalem forever. If you've been coming here very long, you should know this by now. Satan wants the throne. That throne of David. He wants it. He's trying to stop it. He's a murdering spirit. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And Jehoram kills everybody in his family under the power of this murdering spirit. He wants to be king. And let me just look at all of you and say, he wants to be your king. And you know how you can pull it off? Idolatry. When you could have worshipped God, And you chose a substitute. And you don't even maybe know you're doing it. In the room right now today, maybe you don't even know you're doing it. I don't have a golden calf. I don't even have an Asherah pole. I don't have a Baal. I don't have any of that stuff. What consumes you? What consumes your time? What consumes your worship? What consumes your energy? What are you pouring your life into? Come on, come on. What are you doing? What is it? What is the purpose of your life? What's the goal of your existence? What is it? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all, 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 all? What is it about the word all that we don't get? Anything other than that is idolatry. 
It is idolatry. Covetousness is this insatiable desire to fill the place that God was supposed to be with stuff. Other stuff. And all of it just leaves you more empty. Satan, that's how he does it. I'm going to tell you, that's how he pulls it off. You think it's an accident that the first and the second of the Ten Commandments deal with idolatry? Number one, number two, you think God doesn't know who we are? Let's go back to the story. It gets worse. So hold on. Remember, all the sons of Jehoshaphat are dead. All the brothers of Jehoram are dead, murdered. But God has made a covenant with David. So somehow or another, he's going to keep this kingly line going somehow. So God sends the prophet Elijah. He's pulling out the big guns now. He's pull, he sends the prophet Elijah with a message to King Jehoram. Verse 12. Then Elijah the prophet wrote Jehoram this letter. This is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David. Notice David's name keeps coming up. It's a hundred years past David. They're still talking about David. This is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. You have not... You have not followed the good example of your father Jehoshaphat or your grandfather King Asa of Judah. Instead, you have been as evil as the kings in Israel up to the north. You have led the people of Jerusalem and Judah to worship idols. Here it comes. Idolatry. Just as the king Ahab did in Israel, you're doing it down here in the south now. And you have even killed your own brothers, men who are better than you. You killed them. So now, here it comes. The Lord is about to strike you, your people, your children, your wives, and all that is yours with a heavy blow. He's coming. Why? Do not go past this until you answer why. idolatry and the shedding of innocent blood. Two. Is it here in America? Yes. You yourself will suffer with a severe intestinal disease that will get worse each day until your bowels come out. Can you say that in church? You can't if it's in the Bible. Your bowels are coming out. Bad company corrupts good character. Don't mix your politics with the worship of God. Don't compromise one for the other. It might make your intestines come out. Is God able to keep his promise to King David while bringing justice to the throne of this evil King Jehoram? Aren't they in conflict with each other? How's he going to do one without messing up the other? Verse 16. The Lord stirred up the Philistines and the Arabs. You remember last week when Jehoshaphat was so righteous and he sent in the word of God out to all the region that the Philistines and the Arabs, Arabs started bringing offerings to God? Now the opposite's going to happen. Then the Lord stirred up the Philistines and the Arabs who lived near the Ethiopians to attack Jehoram. Rather than to bring offerings, they're going to bring war. They marched against Judah, broke down its defenses, and carried away everything of value in the royal palace, including the king's sons and his wives. Only his youngest son, 
Everybody, everybody get it? Gonna be one left. Only his youngest son, Ahaziah, was spared. And after all this, the Lord struck Jehoram with a severe intestinal disease. The disease grew worse and worse. And at the end of two years, it caused his bowels to come out and he died in agony. His people did not build a great funeral fire to honor him as they had done for his ancestors. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem eight years and no one was sorry when he died. What a miserable existence. And he came out, listen, he came out of a good family. No one saw he died. They buried him in the city of David, but not in the royal cemetery. All the sons of King Jehoshaphat are dead. The brothers of Jehoram, they're all dead. And now all the sons of King Jehoram are dead. Except one. Wow, what a streak of good luck. One's left. One from the lineage of David has survived. That was close. His name is Ahaziah. Will he be good or will he be bad? Good or evil? He's the only one left in this kingly family. And what's he going to do? Second Chronicles 22.2. Ahaziah, he's the only one left, right? was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for one year. This doesn't sound good. His mother was Athaliah. I'll see how good. I'm going to do a test later to see how many of these names you remember. His mother, Athaliah, who do you think she is? She's King Ahab's daughter. Mm-mm. He's the only one left, Remember? He reigned in Jerusalem one year. His mother was Athaliah, a granddaughter of Omri, which was Ahab's daddy. Ahaziah also followed the evil example of her daddy, King Ahab's family, for his mother, Ahaziah's mother, encouraged him to do wrong. Why? She came out of Ahab's family. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as Ahab's family had done. They even became his advisors after the death of his father, and they led him to ruin. Bad company corrupts good character. Do not mix your politics with your worship of God. Don't compromise one for the other. King Ahab had been gone a long time by the time Ahaziah becomes king. But his godless politics remained for generations to follow. Ahaziah only reigned as king of Judah in Jerusalem for one year. What's all that about? You're not going to believe it, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. Verse 5. Following the evil advice of the dead king Ahab's family, following their evil advice, Ahaziah joined King Joram, the son of King Ahab, in Israel in his war against King Hazael of Aram and Ramoth-Gilead. He did it again. What kings before him did, he's doing it too. He's making a political alliance with evil. King Ahaziah enters into a political alliance with the son 
of King Ahab. I think he didn't care very much for his intestines after he saw what happened to his daddy. Bad company corrupts good character. How is God going to keep his promise to David now? This family, come on, let's say from, from Jehoshaphat down, this family is a mess. They're killed, they kill their brothers. You thought you came from a dysfunctional family, you ought to go home feeling good. Second Chronicles 22.7. But God had decided that this visit, so this, they made an alliance, and he's going to go up north to seal the alliance and go into battle. But God had decided that this visit would be Ahaziah's downfall. While he was there, Ahaziah went out with Joram to meet Jehu, son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had appointed to destroy the dynasty of David. The dynasty of Ahab, excuse me, Ahab. Judgment day always comes. God was so disgusted with both of these kings, the king of Judah and the king of Israel. He was so disgusted with both of these kings that God told the prophet Jehu, I want you to go and kill them both. Ooh. In that moment, the Lord did something. He destroyed the dynasty of Ahab. His family line, everybody, everybody from Ahab's seed, gone. But what about David? Ahab's seed, crushed, gone. Can't find another one, they're all gone. But that's not the question today, is it? Nuh-uh. The question is, what about David's seed? Because Ahaziah is the only one left in that one. Or does he have a child? Verse 9. And then Jehu, he's the prophet of God, searched for Ahaziah, the king of Judah, and they found him hiding in the city of Samaria. They brought him to Jehu, who killed him. Ahaziah was given a decent burial because the people said he was the grandson of Jehoshaphat, a man who sought the Lord with all of his heart. But none of the surviving members of Ahaziah's family was capable of ruling the kingdom. Ahaziah's sons were either incapable or too young to become king of Judah. What now? What about the dynasty of David? What's going to happen? Do you remember who gave evil advice to King Ahaziah? His evil mother named Athaliah, Ahab's daughter. Verse 10. When Athaliah, the mother of King Ahaziah of Judah, learned that her son was dead. Listen. She began to destroy the rest of Judah's royal family. She's killing her kids. She's killing all of them. Now, some of you need to think real carefully. What would that do? Do you see the spiritual war, first off? Do you see what power does, secondly? So how will God keep his promise to David now? Athaliah is killing all the royal sons from David's seed. You know what this is going to do? Some of you would be shocked by what I'm about to say. Maybe you don't even know this. She's going to secure her position as the one and only queen of Judah. Judah's going to have a queen. 
Verse 11. But Ahaziah's sister, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Ahaziah's infant son. She's killing all the kids, right? She's killing all the kids. They take this infant, this baby named Joash, stole him away from among the rest of the king's children who were being slaughtered, who were about to be killed. She put Joash in and his nurse in a bedroom. In this way, Jehoshaphat, wife of Jehoiada, the priest and sister of Ahaziah, hid the child so that Athaliah could not murder him. Joash remained hidden in the temple of God for six years while Athaliah, the woman, the mother, reigned, ruled over the land of Judah. For six years, this evil queen, Athaliah, ruled in Judah. She had no idea that one of the royal sons, his name is Joash, was being hidden away. The dynasty of David was still alive. God was protecting one child. He kept getting down to one. He kept getting down to one. He kept getting down to one. But he always remained one. He protected the one. She doesn't know. And at just the right time, God raised up a righteous priest named Jehoiada, the husband of the woman who hid the royal child for six years. Verse 3, they all gathered at the temple of God where they made a solemn pact with Joash. Now, by this time, he's six or seven years old. Jehoiada said to them, here is the king's son. He's the only one. The time has come for him to reign. The Lord has promised that a descendant of David will be our king. Anybody notice something? That priest knew the prophecy. The time has come. The Lord has promised that a descendant of David will be our king. Jehoiada knew the covenant promises. What? That there's an eternal dynasty of kings that God is going to put in place. Now, I'm going to summarize the next part. This young king, Joash, was not raised in the political ways of King Ahab. No, he was raised in the righteous ways of the priests of God. In fact, the political powers didn't even know he was alive. Bad company had not corrupted his good character. And at the age of seven... They bring out young Joash, and they anoint him king of, Israel, king of Judah in Jerusalem, much to the surprise of the evil queen Athaliah, his grandmother. The priests then took Queen Athaliah outside the temple, and they put her to death. The dynasty of David, down to one hidden child, now sits on the throne in Jerusalem. And the question must be this, what will this King Joash, seven years old, be like? I am moved by this next verse I'm about to read. It announces a covenant between this new king and the priest, an alliance between God, the priesthood, and a king, a king that was not raised in the midst of political power. He was secretly raised inside of the temple by holy men. So he thinks different. Verse 16. 
Then Jehoiada, he's the priest, made a covenant between himself and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people. And all the people went over to the temple of Baal and they tore it down. They demolished the altars and smashed the idols and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. And Jehoiada, the priest, now put the priest and the Levites in charge of the temple of the Lord, following all the directions given by David. You know what? He's taking out the political power and putting in the godly power. He also commanded them to present burnt offerings to the Lord as prescribed by the law of Moses and to sing. He commanded them to sing and to rejoice as David had instructed them. That's twice he's brought up David. He also stationed gatekeepers at the gates of the Lord's temple to keep out those who for any reason were ceremonially unclean. David, 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 David. All throughout this story is David, David. A hundred years after the time of David, King Joash and the priests were tearing down the very things that King Ahab had set up. King Joash was raised by righteous priests, never corrupted by political power. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 40 years. Most of King Joash's life, and notice I said most of King Joash's life, he was righteous. But once again, as always, bad company corrupts good character. The priest, Jehoiada, that saved and raised up King Joash, eventually lives to 130 years of age. The story continues. Verse 15. Jehoiada, the priest, lived to be very old age, finally dying at 130. He was buried among the kings in the city of David because he had done so much good in Judah for God and his temple. But after Jehoiada's death, the leaders of Judah, listen, after Jehoiada's death, the leaders of Judah came and bowed before King Joash and persuaded him to listen to their political advice. They decided to abandon the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and they worshiped Asherah poles and idols instead. And because of this sin, divine anger fell on Judah and Jerusalem. Yet the Lord sent prophets to bring them back to him. The prophets warned them, but the people would not listen to the prophets. Bad company, again, has corrupted good character. I'm looking at everybody and I'm telling you something. Do not mix politics and your worship of God. You will lose. I got two points. They'll be fast and I'm going to close. Don't do it. Some of you are going to struggle with what I'm going to say, but I'm telling you, don't do it. Do not mix politics with your worship of God. Because the politics in this story all have an underlying rotten root. It's called idolatry. It's an ungodly root underneath the political power. Don't mix politics with the worship of God. You will lose. Why? Because judgment always comes. There are people in the church, listen carefully, who side, 
There are people in the church who side with those who promote abortion. Don't do it. In this story, there were two things consistent in every one of them. Idolatry and the shedding of innocent blood. They were killing their innocent brothers, their innocent sons. And the political power was always based on idolatry. Don't do it. There are people in the church who side with those who promote sexual sin for political advantage. Don't do it. This movement of homosexuality and LBGT, don't do it. Don't get caught up in this. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm telling you. Don't do it. And you know what the real thing is? You want me to be silent. Keep the church out of politics, preacher. I got an email not too long ago. Somebody gave me one of those speeches. You got to stop getting the church mixed up in politics. And my answer is this. My answer then and my answer now is this. Have you read the Bible? Have you read the Bible? Do you know how bad company corrupts good character? And do you know what happens to those people? Do you know what happens to those people? In the end, let me say something very clear, very concise. In the end, hell is worse than your intestines coming out. And hell is real. And the fall of Judah and the fall of Israel and the fall today could be linked to those same two things. Idolatry and the shedding of innocent blood. God will not be silent. And if some of you look at politics and say, well, but it's good for the economy. We make these political alliances for the economy. He'll sink your ships. They'll never get out of the harbor. And while he's sinking your ships, your family legacy is going down with them. Read the stories. Don't talk to me about military alliances either. It's good for politics to make military alliances. God will destroy your army and it'll destroy your future. Don't mix your politics with the worship of God. The priest Jehoiada raised King Jehoash, Joash right. And when Jehoiada died, he has a son named Zedekiah took over as priest. And Zedekiah, do you, do you know what happens? Zechariah, I gave his guy's name wrong. Verse 20. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest. Now, this is the boy of the priest that saved that kid's life when he was born. Hid him for six years. So surely King Joash is going to have great respect for the family, right? Because you saved my life. The Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, after he died. He stood before the people and said, God's talking to the people because they've abandoned the temple. They've gone back to idolatry, abandoned the God that, that saves them, and gone back to idolatry and Asherah poles and Baals. 
So he raises up this holy man, Zechariah, and he says, he stood before the people and said, this, this is what God says, why do you disobey the Lord's commands and keep yourself from prospering? Why do you keep doing it? You have abandoned the Lord, and now he has abandoned you. Do you think they all said, well, thank you for that good word today, preacher? And then the leaders plotted to kill Zechariah. And King Joash, who you would think would protect this guy, right? King Joash ordered that they stone him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. That is how King Joash repaid Jehoiada for his loyalty. By killing his son, Zacharias. Zacharias' last words were this. May the Lord see what they are doing and avenge my death. We need preachers today and Christians today who will be like Zechariah, son of Jehoiada, who are willing to say, this is what God says. Why do you dis disobey the Lord's command and keep yourselves from prospering? Why? Why? America. Why do you keep disobeying the Lord's command and prevent yourself from prospering as you once did? Don't mix your politics with the worship of God. And we're not going to be silent. And here's why. John the Baptist in the New Testament preached openly against the sexual sin that the King Herod was involved in openly against the political power of the day. John the Baptist preached openly against the political power of the day, and it got him killed. They cut his head off to shut him up. But you know what Jesus says about John the Baptist? He says, of all men born of women, none is greater than John. Last point. What about the dynasty of David, preacher? You keep talking about the dynasty of David, preacher. There hasn't been a king in Israel over Judah for over 2,000 years now. What about the covenant promise of God to David, preacher? 800 years past the time of King Joash. He was the only one left, right? 800 years after him, something happens. 800 years after Joash, something happens. Do you know what it is? I'm asking. Do you know what it is? 800 years after Joash, he got down to one several times, down to one from David's seed, down to one from David's seed. That, you didn't want to be in David's seed. 800 years after the time of Joash, God sent an angel to the earth, Gabriel. And he carried a message to a young girl named Mary. And this is what he told her. Luke 1.30, don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he's going to be very great. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High God. Here he comes. The Lord God will give him the throne. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And I'm going to tell you, that throne of David has never been in heaven. That throne of David is in Jerusalem on this present earth. And he will reign over Israel how long? Say it out loud. Forever. And his kingdom will never end. I want to tell you something. We live in the church age. 
the time of the Gentiles when God is inviting us, us non-Jewish people, to join Israel in this covenant promise about a coming king and a coming kingdom. We haven't replaced Israel, as some people like to say. We've been invited to join Israel in the covenant promises of God. But one day, maybe really, really soon, the time of the Gentiles is going to end. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11. The time of the Gentiles will end, and the eternal dynasty of David will begin. Yes, David will be there. I want you to understand something. When that happens, David will be there. And if you're struggling with the idea of David being there in that kingdom, you still haven't come to grips with the whole resurrection thing. David will be there, but he will be operating under the authority of another king. And today I ask you a question. Do you know that other king? No one David will bow down to on that day. Do you know him? Do you know this king? Do you know how the book of Revelation ends, the final chapter in this story? I know I went through a lot to get to this today, so you'll understand. It's, there's power in this. Do you know how the book of Revelation ends, the last chapter? Verse, 20, verse 16, chapter 22. Do you know this king? I, Jesus have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. I'm going to tell you something today. There's a king coming. And he's coming out of this family lineage of David. He is the source of David and he is the heir to David's throne. And he's going to reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom will never end. Do you know this kingdom? You better know this. Do you know this king? Do you know him personally? You better know him before this kingdom comes. And today, in the time of the Gentiles, in the time of the church, he's inviting us to come in, come in through faith into this kingdom. And it comes to this. Have you bowed to this king? Have you bowed your life? Or are you bowing your life to these idols? These Asherahs and Baals and covetous and insatiable desire for that house, that car, that stuff, that money, that, 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 that. All that's going to be gone soon. It's all going to be gone. There's one king. You're bowing to him or you're faking it. I can't tell the difference. You'd fool me, but you won't fool him. Nobody here is going to fool him. Is Jesus your king. He can be. You bow to him. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, the holy name of our king. I pray for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray, Lord, that right now today, while we wait for you to come to this earth, to come to David's throne, that you'll be the king of our hearts right now today, this moment, that you'll come in and reign in us, through us, around us, 
Your power, not ours. Your kingdom, not ours. We've cast off our idols. We cast off this idolatry, this pursuit of power and self. We bow to you, for we know that without you, there's only death. But Lord, we also pray that one day soon, you will come and reign on David's throne, for you always keep your word. Now, Lord, may the Holy Spirit do his work here. Your work, not our work, your work to redeem, to transform, to open up hearts, eyes, ears. For your glory, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The invitation's open. Let's stand.